Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Silicon Valley Bank. Hello, everybody. It's Frank Gruber, the host of the Startup of the Year podcast. We're back again with another episode. Today's going to be a special episode, though. We've got Rich Malloy, one of our co-hosts, and he's going to be talking to a couple of experts on alternative capital opportunities and alternative capital structures. So basically looking at all the options other than venture capital. We've got two guests. We've got Thor Culverhouse, the CEO of Lighter Capital, and John Willard, Managing Director of Silicon Valley Bank. So let's listen in as Rich Malloy talks to these experts. Take it away, Rich. Yeah, thanks, guys, uh, both of you, for being here. Um, Thor, let's, um, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit uh, about you and your background and Lighter Capital. So please do share. Tell us. Thanks, Rich. So, yeah, I'm the CEO of uh, Lighter Capital. I've been there for just about three months. So just joined the company. Uh, Lighter Capital provides alternative tech financing, principally debt structures to early stage uh, venture back or soon to be venture back companies. So we typically get involved with organizations that are sort of post angel and pre sort of series A venture uh, funding companies. Um, I came from this world. So I was a three time CEO before I got to lighter raised a lot of capital and really had a lot of appreciation for what lighter was uh, accomplishing. Excellent. And you're up in Seattle now, but before Seattle, you were, um, you were down here in, in Colorado. That's right. I just uh, I ran a company here in Seattle for about six years. Uh, it's still an ongoing concern. And then I ran a couple of companies in Denver, Colorado. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and John, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, so, John, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background in Silicon Valley Bank. Sure. So, uh, yep. So, John Willard, and uh, I've been with Silicon Valley Bank um, for the last 23 years. And uh, I've been mainly in the technology banking and venture uh, lending area of the bank, um, which entailed kind of a, a lot of different experiences about uh, across different product groups. Um, the main sectors I focused on were software and the internet, and those evolved quite a bit over the last uh, couple cycles of of the the economy. And so I've um, moved my way across different asset based lending um, in through uh, research and development, and I am presently a managing director in managing uh, digital partnerships in our digital acquisition area of the bank. And Silicon Valley Bank uh, is about a 35-year-old company. We focus on a wide range of banking services to companies of all sizes and innovation centers around the world. So we have offices across the United States and in Europe, Canada, and China. And we really focus across really the the primary um, technology sectors of of innovation through hardware, software, life science, uh, private equity, um, energy resource innovation, and premium wine. And we also uh, serve the the investors that really support these companies' innovation. So we have a, a practice that supports the venture capital um, uh, innovation. So that is um, mainly my journey there. It's been 23 years. I worked a little bit of time before that in Bank of America, but kind of the journey's been at Silicon Valley Bank. That's fantastic. You know, and SVB uh, has a very strong presence out here in, in Colorado, and 
I'm not just saying this because SVB is a sponsor of the podcast, uh, and we're grateful for that. But uh, seriously, the, the reputation out here of, S, of SVB is, is really stellar. The people that have represented the um, Silicon Valley Bank in the, in the early stage um, uh, banking business have all been stellar people that have done a great job of putting the community first, figuring out how do I give to the community and, you know, with, with asks or business as a, you know, something that when you're ready, we're here for you. And that sort of attitude just really, it goes really far out here in Colorado. So we're, you know, we appreciate SVB as a community partner, as a Coloradan, I can say that. And also as a, as in uh, for the startup of the year podcast. So right, thank you for that. Fantastic to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's kick it off. Let's talk about, let's get down to details here, man. I'm, you know, I, I've seen more and more about revenue-based financing in the last couple of years than ever. And Lighter has been around for a while and you guys have been doing this for a while. And Thor, even though you're new as a, the CEO, I'm sure you have some, um, you know, you have some great depth of knowledge about this. And so I'd love for you to just start out by telling us what is revenue-based financing. So <clears throat> revenue-based financing is um, really effectively a term loan. But the way the payment stream is structured is that the payment is fundamentally a uh, percentage of your monthly MRR. So, you know, principally we invest in tech-enabled MRR-based businesses, <clears throat> early-stage companies um, as they're growing and they're moving up and to the right. Still being early in nature, they tend to have some variability in their monthly recurring uh, revenue stream as, as, they're, you know, as they're building momentum. And so revenue-based financing is actually rather unique and supportive of that entrepreneur because um, the, the payment stream can effectively fluctuate based on you know, your monthly recurring revenue. So if you tend to have uh, a flatter quarter compared, or excuse me, flatter month compared to the previous month, or you have a, a one where you're accelerating a little bit faster, that payment stream fluctuates as your performance fluctuates. So it's, it's, it's unique in, in structure, but it's, again, very supportive of that type of business and people that are, are trying to grow. Now we do have other loans, traditional term loans and lines of credit for, you know, classic, you know, working capital, but that revenue based financing is, uh, is really a, the, the core piece of our business. Um, and so, and, and maybe just a few words rich on exactly where we play in that space. And mm -hmm. so, so we target companies that are either, you know, somewhat dilution sensitive and their capital requirements aren't as big as compared to some other hyper growth companies or, or if companies are just earlier in their life cycle and haven't um, crossed all the T's and checked the boxes for that initial series A equity investment. So their options are often very limited. It's, it's hard, um, you know, to continue to tap either the angel network or, very often, you know, um, entrepreneurs are, are, are flywheeling some of these companies on their own, or if they go to, you know, a classic bank, sometimes they require some sort of personal guarantee. We're different in that structure. So we don't require warrants. And so there's literally no dilution um, and there's no personal guarantee. And so we've got a data science team and a, and a, and a crack underwriting team where we basically price and size the loan on the underlying fundamentals of the growth of that company. What's the churn? What's the burn path to profitability, things of that nature. you know, we, we look at, and then we price and structure the loan accordingly. That's amazing. I, I love that. I mean, I absolutely love that, that, you know, the uh, non-dilutive capital 
based off of the business that you're doing. And you don't need to be profitable, right? That's right. I mean, obviously, you got to be generating revenue. And we have a sweet spot that, you know, we typically target companies that are doing at least 15K MRR. You know, and we price loans as, you know, small as $50,000. Our sweet spot tends to be in the kind of three to 500 range. We do, we'll go all the way up to 3 million if we need to, if it's a more, you know, successful company. And, and frankly, you, you pointed it out earlier, and it was a great point. We've been in this space for a long time. So we've been around for about nine years. We've done over 600 loans. We've got over 350 customers. So many of our customers actually will come back, either restructure those loans or, or they like that trajectory. Um, they like that cost of capital. And cost of capital, by the way, is a very important consideration here. If you are providing, um, you know, giving up warrants or, you know, giving up equity too early in that growth curve, you know, if you really look at the calculation on, on what does that ultimately cost you, very often a debt structure like ours is considerably cheaper in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you that fuel that, as a startup that you need to get to that next stage by leveraging you, you have to leverage something if you're, you, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to take out a loan. And so that, that's right. And as I mentioned, kind of in the, uh, the introduction, you know, I've been a three time CEO before I got here and I've done some super early stage stuff. I've done some later growth stuff. And, you know, I think all entrepreneurs, if they're in this game long enough, it's a spectrum of capital. You know, you're not going to go to one source all the time. Very often you're going to start with some sort of seed angel kind of fuel, you know, maybe your own. Uh, a structure like lighter capital is perfect for those earlier stage companies. You may graduate to, you know, more kind of a, um, you know, venture debt structure that John may talk about in a little bit. Ultimately, maybe venture, uh, you know, and then ultimately maybe private equity or, or eventually sort of IPO. But there are there's multiple ways to finance your company. And I think understanding which one is most appropriate for the stage of the company is, is super important to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. And let's, let's shift gears and talk, um, John, let's talk a little bit about SVB and the opportunity that SVB provides to, uh, to provide venture debt, um, and the direction that you all are going with that. Sure. So traditionally the Silicon Valley bank has, um, focused like, like all venture, um, debt industry in general has, has wanted to have a, an equity sponsor or a venture capitalist uh, in the deal. And, and that's largely too, true today. You know, really our, our platform, our, our credit platform is really uh, structured to start at the Series A and then move on and grow um, with companies as they progress and, and raise subsequent equity all the way through public offerings and um, really indefinitely now our platform can support that. And I think that that has served us really well. And I, and, in general, our growth and where we are today is we're looking at different ways we can continue to serve our customer base, even in the pre-seed. And you know, we're making significant investments in our digital experiences for clients. Uh, we want to engage with our client base much earlier. And you know, historically, we've been able to provide selective uh, amounts of seed debt, but uh, the criteria has to be a bit more narrow in scope because of the ability to to really have a, a way to uh, repay the loan, have repayment sources um, in the absence of a traditional or institutional VC. So it's been um, present, but we want to be able to address the needs of the, the pre-series A. And in looking over our client base, we've, we've, we want to address, and where lighter fits in, is we have wanted to address really a, a segment of our client base that 
there's an opportunity with the higher quality. So think of the companies in, the, in you know, pre-Series A that have recurring revenue that potentially um, are electing not to raise equity or, or being more strategic in their timing. So we have this, this group of companies in you know, both our client base and as well as in the industry that you know have our post revenue, post product, their seed or angel funded to sometimes a, a, a large degree that you know the growth oriented working capital needs. So it's not to fund losses, but it's really to help them strategically grow. And we want to be able to play a, a greater part in the helping to um, arrange the capitalization of the company. So work with them as they're raising equity alongside them, provide um, the appropriate levels of debt and the right structure. And so that really brought us uh, closer to what aligned with what Lighter Capital is doing and that uh, the recurring revenue product uh, being a, a term loan in essence, but with a structured repayment really aligns with our traditional growth capital product, which in the end is just a much larger term loan that has a certain draw period and uh, repayment terms, but they're largely coupled with equity and they, they provide benefits of minimizing the amount that companies have to raise so that they can uh, save in dilution or they provide them with insurance policies at the end of uh, their cash cycle when they're, they're running low on cash, they draw on the venture debt to uh, bridge them to the equity round. So I think the structure that Lighter provides in their, their loans is in essence doing the same, has the same impact or benefit to entrepreneurs, it's just at a much earlier stage and they can do it through their technology and their underwriting and the, and the type of revenue models that they're electing to lend to that really addresses a, an underserved part of our client base that we want to engage with more. So it really accomplishes a couple things. It allows us to, to engage with that customer base sooner and give them value with a, with a trusted partner and allows us to start building a mutual relationship with a trusted partner with that entrepreneur so that when the time comes that they've uh, reached that, that range of raising Series A, we've already established a much deeper relationship. So we're serving our client base must client base much better, but also you know, building stronger relationships with companies like Lighter earlier on in the uh, in our lending cycle. Yeah, that totally makes sense because you know, and Thor, this comes back to the uh, to the revenue based financing is that you know, so SVB can can make that introduction to to Lighter, a startup can get that funding that they need, but revenue based financing is not just. It's it's not the it's it's not the last round that you raise, right? It could it could be, but if you want to go on and raise a, an A or a B after that, um, that's that's something that fits in very well with with the products that you offer. No, that's exactly right. I mean, John hit the nail on the head, and and I sort of alluded to this earlier, in that uh, <clears throat> there's a continuum of capital that's available on the market. And there's also a continuum of capital that's appropriate, kind of depending on the growth stage of the company, the rate at which they're growing. And, uh, you know, and, and, and each company very often has different capital needs. And so um, what I love about the partnership between um, Lighter Capital and Silicon Valley Bank is that, you know, we can, we can work with that company kind of cradle to grave, if you will. So early on, Revenue-based financing, pure debt structure, no dilution is, is an appropriate vehicle very often, again, for those earlier stage companies. As they grow up and have bigger requirements, um, that equity in combination with some venture debt um, and the associated banking structure and banking facility that Silicon Valley banks 
is an obvious next step. It's really kind of a graduation. And since we're longtime partners and we have a national reach and soon going international, we can serve a broad set of customers collectively. Um, and, you know, we know their team well and, and, and we work quite nicely together. We know each other's offerings. And so that complementary nature and the, and the breadth of the capital structure is, um, is a great place and a great complement to, to many entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's the, um, as you said, the continuum of capital. I love that. And so you, you know, as you're raising your seed net or your, your angel round, get to the, get to the point for the revenue based financing. And then after that you move to, if you need to, you move to the next round of capital and having, um, and having that partnership, whether it's SVB or lighter or both is will support, support the entrepreneurs on their journey, which it's entrepreneurship is not easy. And we are, we're all out there, all of us, all three of us on this uh, podcast are all out there in the business of supporting entrepreneurs on that journey. Um, I'll add one, one, maybe add on one more aspect, maybe for the listeners um, about kind of the the perspective of relationship and long-term outlook when you're, you're starting out as a company and and looking at who are some of the more key relationships you want to establish um, early on. And, and having deeper relationships in general is important, but I think having one with your your credit providers, whether it's, it's SVB or Viter or anyone else, um, some things to keep in mind and how we've structured this partnership is that there's it's a very seamless and founder-friendly uh, transition um, as the company grows and their needs a kind of sunset from, from a borrowing need from Lighter and they move on to maybe a, a more of a venture-backed um, need um, into like where my into the range of Silicon Valley Bank, having collaboration between creditors of, of any creditors is very important. And it's things I've seen in the market where um, those are things that have um, unnecessarily, I think, impacted um, startups or creditors that the handoff can be a very risky time for a startup. And that if you have an existing loan or you're stepping out of a loan into uh, you raise your round in, into a larger facility, um, having um, good continuity, and we have an intercreditor arrangement in place so that we could structure more optionality so if a lighter loan uh, doesn't need to be re- retired necessarily if they take a loan with SVB. We just have intercreditor arrangements. We can discuss it to the benefit of the, of the startup so you're not taking Series A dollars and, and paying off debt, which is very expensive to, to an entrepreneur. And also, we haven't been through a credit cycle in a number of years. And I've been through a few at the bank now, and I think one thing to appreciate when you have creditors is that when you have downturns, depending on how you construct your team, so to speak, or your, your debt capital provide, providers, um, a lot of cooperation sometimes wanes in difficult credit markets, economic and even venture cycles. So having a difficult downturn, often creditors don't always cooperate. And and often the one in the middle is the company, the borrower, right or wrong. Hmm. So having... Uh, Thinking about the team that you build early and building good relationships and then thinking strategically down how do you have a longer term outlook and how are um, how that team you build can have a bigger effect, especially if they have capacity to grow with you. So that's that's what we've constructed in mind. That's why Lighter was a, a fantastic fit with us because their, their market focus and their their um, customer focus aligns with ours and and it should be a, a, a seamless transition for companies as they uh, as they move up. That's great. You know, the, re- the relationship building can't be understated and maybe I'm biased 
but you know, John sounds like we're in the, we're, we're in the same mindset here, right? Is, is that to me, rela- you, you have to constantly be building these relationships because when you need it, when, when you need somebody in your corner, if you don't have that relationship in place, it's, it's too late to get that. But if you have that relationship and you and you have that trust built and that works on both sides, not just for the, you know, for the, for the startups talking to the, um, uh, to the bankers, but to the other way around, to the bankers talking to the startups. But you have to have that relationship in place because when when things do turn south, if you have somebody in your corner that understands and knows where you've been, then they have that data on you, right? Right. Yeah, very important to have consistent, you know, rely on a partner for consistency. And when, when you have relationships early on, if, if you're focused centrally on just costs and transaction, that's probably not the best approach or relationships and really building those enduring and over time then you could focus on optimizing and lowering costs but really entrepreneurs is greatest when you first start out so having a predictable partner whoever that that party is is i can't i can't say the importance of that because that you as startups you really need to have um the, the least amount of surprises as possible and you really don't want those coming from those that have capital or or withhold capital from you so that's why you pick good investors, and then also equally, you know, credit providers are are just as critical. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thor, what's your experience been in the you know as both as as CEO of multiple stage companies with that? Um, you've seen some downturns as well. I mean, I'd love to get your perspective on, um, you know, what uh, how capital has affected or access or lack of access to capital has affected your your businesses in the past. Yeah, well, I. I- fortunate for the timing of, of, of uh, providing an example, but, you know, many of us that are running companies and are in a, you know, venture back company, there's obviously some predict or there's usually some predictable burn cycle that you are running against while you're trying to get your top line up. You, you typically have a, a higher expense ratio for some period of time. Hopefully it's predictable. And we were running one such that we needed to raise capital two years out. And this was a company that I was running in Denver, by the way. And I had predicted to raise capital in September of 08, not knowing what was going to happen in September of 08. <laughs> and we had multiple contracts on the table. The company fundamentally was in, was in great shape. It wasn't an MRR business per se, but nonetheless, you know, we hit that, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that financial downturn. And not only did, you know, the obviously the economy slow, many of our customers retracted, but also at the same time, many of the VCs at the table didn't lose interest in the overall fundamentals of our business. But because of their LPs, they also sort of recoiled. So here I was sitting with a company that had, you know, a reasonable burn and, you know, had some debt on the sideline with a particular tech bank. And I literally had to go back to... Um, you know, our inside investors, as well as, you know, our, our tech bank at the time. And we fundamentally had to restructure, you know, what that entire thing looked like. We had to recap the company, oh, wow. put in some additional, you know, um, um, venture uh, money from our existing investors. Um, we had to work with the bank. And this, you know, this is the salient point here is that we had to work with the bank, who was our partner, to make yeah. sure that they understood the trajectory we were on, the fundamentals that we were moving around in order to to weather the storm, if you will. And, yeah. and to John's very important point, none of that would have happened 
if we didn't have a deep relationship with the bank and the investors at the time. They all knew uh, me at that point in time. I'd been there for about four years. They had a clear understanding of, of the, you know, the unit economics and how we were going to pull the nose up on the plane. And they stuck with us. But none of that, again, none of that would have happened if not for, you know, some, some deep relationships that were, were learned along the way. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. And, you know, as we're all. So, by, by know, the way, there was some, there's some, sorry to interrupt, there was some good news there that yeah. we ultimately did weather that storm. And right. two years later, we ended up selling the company to HP Software and everybody who stuck with us in that um, adventure, um, you know, were handsomely rewarded because it, it ended up being, you know, quite a nice multiple. And that wouldn't have happened if if people didn't buckle down and start to count on each other and, and kind of restructure our, our financing approach and, and make it through that challenge. Yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. We're in a world that, I mean, the, the, the way that the startup economy and the startup markets have grown so much is, is incredible. And the, almost to the point that, well, it really is to the point where there are some well-understood metrics around what you're looking for, you know, at, uh, at, at Lighter for what makes a, what makes a good investment. And you touched on this a little bit earlier on, but I want to dig in on this, on the, on the tech driven process on investing in tech companies. Um, yeah. and we'd love to hear a little bit about, about how that works for you. Sure. So first of all, we, we principally target, you know, companies that have monthly recurring revenue and, you know, low churn. Um, although most newer early stage company have some degree of churn may not necessarily be profitable. But it's it's really understanding that customer acquisition cost. It's understanding exactly how predictable that burn and churn is, so that we can plot a um, an expectation or an estimate of when the company is ultimately going to be profitable. So we like that MR um, business because if they do have low churn and there's a sticky business, you know all of those customers have some predictable tail to the relationship, and therefore the revenue stream and path to profitability is easier to predict versus companies that may be structured differently. So we like that space a lot. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, given the fact that it's a, you know, it's a tech economy, um, we continue to believe that that's, that's a place to provide, you know, our investors a great return. So that, that's kind of one, one, one angle. The other, the other part of it is we use technology as well to understand exactly who do you invest in. So we have a data science team coupled with our underwriting team, and we collect a lot of information from these prospective borrowers through an application process and an underwriting process, and we work very closely. It's it's not a it's not a five minute journey. We we try to get through it pretty quickly. In fact, we pride ourselves on how quickly we can underwrite these companies because we use some of these methodologies. But fundamentally, we're able to use our data science and underwriting team to take a look at those core fundamentals and and decide who we believe are the most likely to, you know, continue on a growth trajectory that we believe is, is, is worthy of, of making that, uh, that debt placement. Um, and then obviously we keep a track of it and we continue to work with the, the entrepreneur and the, and the company to make sure that they're continuing to grow at the rate at which they predict. And if things do go bump in the night, you know, we work through that with our companies as, as any uh, good partner would. So, um, yeah. again, we love the space. Um, we love the MRR sort of business and, and we apply our own set of technology to make sure we're investing in the right companies. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's uh, not, not quite eating your own dog food, but almost. 
Yeah, close. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and you mentioned also about the um, uh, expanding locations. And so what's where have you been? Where have you? So you're based at Lighter's based in Seattle, has a national reach. How, are you seeing your customer base shift and change? Well, we are I, in, in, you know, principally because we're opening up the aperture and where we decide to 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 work. So we're partnered with Silicon Valley Bank. We're getting ready to uh, move into Canada. Um, we believe Canada's, you know, a great economy, a smaller economy than ours. Oh, yeah. But if you look at, you know, the competition from our perspective, providing RBF type loans to, um, you know, MRR companies in Canada, it's a great match. And again, we're going to partner with Silicon Valley Bank there. We're also moving into Australia, very likely in Q2. Um, and then longer term, we're also targeting uh, the UK, probably longer term for me, by the way, is not that long. It's only like Q3 or Q4 kind of time frame. Okay. <laughs> so, so we think that, um, and there's other opportunities, Israel, other, there's tech hotspots around the world. And, you know, this concept of a, uh, a SaaS type business, MRR type business is actually quite hot for all the obvious reasons. And, you know, uh, North America is not the only place um, that some of these great ideas are coming from and some of these great companies are being uh, born out of. And so, you know, we're, we're going to follow those opportunities sort of wherever it takes us. So um, we're just this coming year, FY 2020, we're expanding our reach considerably. Um, uh, why Australia over over the UK? Why, why make those moves in that in that order? Or is there is there some particular reason for that? Well, we also have a, a similar partnership with with another bank in Australia, um, and, and and so it's a natural fit. But when I look at geographies like this, you know, I, I, I you know, you, you, you kind of turn the mirror around and say, you know, how I judge companies, I need to judge myself. And and, and mm-hmm. so when I look at the opportunity, I look at the competitive landscape for um, RBF financing to you know um, other geographies. And so when I look at those other geographies. I fundamentally believe that they're underserved. Um, and so we've decided that that's the cadence, but literally in sort of a 12 month time frame, we're going to, in addition to North America, we're going to open up three other geos. Um, that, and, yeah. and so we're pretty excited about the approach, but yeah, we take a very hard look about, you know, who's serving those markets today, who we can partner with, what, you know, what's the best way to go about it. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And SVB has got, you know, puts out puts out the, its its annual startup outlook report that has subsections in in Asia and the UK and the US and Canada as well. You know, John, what's the, you know, what what additional are there additional twenty twenty plans that you can or that you are at liberty to share with us for for SVB? Well, I think I what I can't talk about I think is our you know alignment with with lighter. For the Canadian market, we're very excited about the, the Canadian office being opened. And if you look at the market, you know there's a vibrant early stage ecosystem up there, and the different um, lending options are uh, available to to uh, startups in that market seem to be uh, based on our researchers looking like they're a little bit larger. The, the credit appetites are looking for a little bit larger venture mm. backed, and so. Um, it depends on, on the regions, um, but the composition of credit as well as the the, uh, the equity providers in those markets you know, changes dramatically just even in, in the U.S. and around our offices around the country. So lighter could have a, a very um, large impact on 
um, our business up there and that we are able to come in and, again, stair-step the credit levels where we can start addressing the very early-stage companies with our network, with the uh, the, uh, the different banking services that we can provide into it with probably larger credit commitments initially where Lighter can come in and help us make inroads, uh, build valuable relationships, meet credit needs, and, again, just kind of replicate what we're, what we're trying to do here and down in, in the U.S. We can largely get that right in Canada and then look yeah. at their offices as we have footprints in, uh, in the U.K., in Germany, uh, and, uh, in Israel. Uh, we're not in uh, Australia yet, but, um, but I think there's plenty of work ahead of us um, as it is right now. But Canada is most likely the, the next place that we're going to uh, look to to kind of push some of the, um, the partnership forward. Yeah, what are the what are the markets that you guys are most excited about in Canada? It's a big country. Everything from Kelowna, that is kind of a I, I consider a sister city to Boulder, uh, to uh, you know to the Greater Toronto region or Montreal with uh, with Startfest. Uh, so, what are, what are some markets that you guys are jumping into? Well, we've we've been in Canada for a number of years, and we've we've serviced that out of the you know our East Coast offices or up from uh, Seattle into mm-hmm. Western Canada. So I'd say yeah. we're, we're equally excited about where all the innovation is happening. Um, I think we're um, right now focused on just where our office locations are, um, but if we can work with partners to start attracting um, entrepreneurs into you know opening accounts with the with the bank um, in. in Geographies, particularly in Canada, where we're, we're not, that's that's even better. That's really aligns with how we're trying to push our digital initiatives with a company forward, where we can start introducing uh, more valuable digital experiences that are really representative of SVB's value proposition. You know, access to network, uh, innovation, insights, uh, pro- providing um, access to capital through our PC capital. Um, so, largely working with partners like. Lighter, which is um, part of our digital experiences, um, mm-hmm. is uh, includes Canada as well as what we're trying to do. Yes, but it's early on, so we're really focused in in the states and trying to really get um, a lot of volume um, going. We're we're about twelve months into it with with Lighter, and so we're continuing to develop, you know, the, the inner workings of the partnership and and continue to figure out what works best in terms of client experience and also other opportunities for us to just continue to expand the partnership because there's, there's, um, great alignment is significant. So we're, we're just looking at every angle. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, good guys. This has been, this has been fantastic. You know, before we, before we wrap, um, what, what didn't we cover here that you would love to share with our audience? Well, I, I would say it's not that we did cover. I would like to expand on, on one particular thing. We continue to talk about this continuum. It's, it's the basis of the obvious partnership that we continue to outline here. It's a very important concept for early, late stage, whoever. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to need capital. You're always going to be looking at that situation, trying to figure out the way to, um, you know, pull that off and which is the right type for the right stage. But I would say, especially for our listeners that are perhaps earlier in that spectrum, very often you don't under, even understand that these things are available. So I understand that part of what we're trying to do here today is educate people. But I guess I would argue that, um, you know, go reach out, reach out to Silicon Valley Bank, reach out to Lighter Capital, reach out to your local network, um, whether it's Techstars and, you know, your organization, Rich, what have you. 
one of the one of the best ways to to understand these concepts is to build your own network. And and because because all too often I see early stage entrepreneurs that maybe have a great idea and they're either technically oriented or they have some uh, a particular business practice that they understand very well, but they may not understand some of these other um, you know capital sources. And, you know, they don't teach that stuff in MBA school either. And so the way you figure it out is to build your own network. And all of us would like to, you know, we're all pretty passionate about how helping the entrepreneurs. So go build your go build your network um, to figure it out. Love it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. John, how about you? What uh, what, what would you like to, to expand on or share that we didn't get a chance to cover? Well, I would say that you know, for the from the from the founder standpoint, I know we've talked a lot about recurring revenue today, and and uh, that that's a very um, a very natural place to to be able to lend at progressively larger amounts. But I'd say as you're looking at your company, there there's ways to maybe view you know the the cost of capital, and I think just being from early on being very uh, mindful of you know of course the equity would be the most expensive, and then moving into what is debt capital, which should be progressively cheaper, but come with more trade-offs, right? You need to be repaid. But there's also on your, on, if you're looking for ways that you could leverage the company, there are assets that, that companies that particularly may not be able to create revenue could generate invoices or other kinds of assets that could be monetized. So I'd say examine your business. If you have revenue and you have different assets you're creating, um, look at ways that you can, you can leverage that, whether it's a, um, a company that will, will purchase invoices from you. It's not right for everybody, but I think that there's ways that you could ease into non-dilutive sources of capital at the very early stages, you know, finding your first invoices are ways that you could, you could monetize that. And then slowly moving into progressively uh, larger credit facilities, because raising capital often at the very beginning by virtue of not maybe understanding all the other options available to you could be, have a significant impact or how much of the company you have at the very end of the long journey. Uh, yeah. So I'd say just be, um, be aware of there's, there's different ways. As long as you're creating revenue, you should really talk to people, get to know somebody can help you look at all options that once you turn the corner and you have assets you're creating, you should really explore the lowest cost of financing first in, in responsible amounts. Right, because mm-hmm. you're always going to need to raise equity, but you can reduce the amount of equity you need to uh, with with different assets if you can leverage that. And that's just a smart way of engineering your 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 capitalization because that will impact you on Series A and B on, onward. It's just orders of magnitude difference. You know, uh, you know, twenty grand means a lot to maybe a startup, but down the road it won't. But I think when you look at how much equity you've given away in the very early early days. Um, it could be underappreciated the cost of that truly. So, yes, definitely in a long term perspective. Exactly. So it's not exactly yeah. the right answer, but I think just being educated that on your balance sheet is what areas can you generate cash from. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. You got to have something to leverage, whether it's receipts, MRR. Uh, assets, not a lot of assets in the tech world uh, that uh, you can leverage or, you know, um, because in the, when you're going out to, to raise venture, if you don't have a product and you don't have customers, you got to leverage your reputation. And if you don't have that yet, 
then you don't have much to leverage. So, <laughs> so yeah. you get the customers, you get the revenue, you can you can keep you can keep yeah. the equity, you can get the 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 alternative capital, and then you get to raise on your terms. Correct. And those are things that I love to see from from entrepreneurs. Definitely. Thanks so much, Rich. Thank you so much, Thor and John. Great insights on alternative uh, capital and all the options that are out there other than venture capital. So very interesting stuff. And I loved how relationships, no matter what you're doing, matter. Uh, so Thor, thanks for sharing that as well. All right, we're, we're about at the end of our, our episode here, but wanted to share one more thing. Uh, we couldn't get anywhere we go without our partner in American Airlines, so wanted to share a few words from American. With American Airlines, you can give your company's travel budget a lift. American Airlines Business Extra is a rewards program for companies that can help get the most out of your travel budget. It's free to join with no minimum flight or spend commitments. The more you fly with American Airlines and their partners, the more business extra points you earn. Points can be redeemed for round-trip flights, cabin upgrades, Advantage Gold status, Admiral Club memberships or passes, and your employees can continue to earn Advantage miles and your company earns business extra points at the same time. It's a win-win. Doesn't your business deserve something extra? Thank you, American Airlines, and thank you, listeners. Hopefully, this episode opened your eyes to other options other than venture capital. I'm your host, Frank Gruber. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll be back with another episode soon.